All right, well, when I thought about what brought me to restoration, uh, there were several things that were on my top 10 list that I'm about to give you. The top 10 reasons, if you were on my Facebook or my Twitter this week, then you, like I'm really popular, but um, then you saw maybe the top 10 list uh, that was up there. And so this was the top 10 reasons that someone might join a church plant. The 10th reason was, if you want to see Jesus do something new, or you're sick of status quo, you might join a church plant. If you dream of being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, then you might join a church plant. If you want to get in a fight or enter a battle for the kingdom of God or wear silly clothes and not have people go, huh? Then you might join a church plant. Number seven, if you feel a constant itch to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus and you believe church planting is the best way to share the gospel. That was huge for me when we started this journey a long time ago. Number six, if you want to give your time, your energy, your money, your talents to start something new, and you want to make sacrifices to see that mission succeed, then you might start a church plant or join a church plant. Number five, if you want to fully support the mission, vision, and leadership of a church plant, then you join a church plant. Number four, if you want to see your faith grow and you want God to fundamentally meddle with and change your life. And those of you who are like, Owners in this are like, yeah. Number three, if you want to love your city, then you join a church plant. Number two, if you want to watch God move in ways that you never imagined and you want the adventure with all its discomforts and risks, then this is a good place to be. And number one, if you're not afraid to bank your life on Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, then this is a good place to be. And I don't know about you, but when I read that list this week, I got so excited. It just kind of hit the reset button for why we're doing what we're doing. And so if you're in this place where you're like, oh, I, I kind of like it here, you know, I think this is a fun place to be, um, just look at that list again. I'm sure you can find it on somewhere on my Facebook page, but look at that list and, and go, what is it for me? What, which one of those is really important to me? Which one of those jazzes me up? And, and then what do we do with that? Why, why would we look at that list and go, oh yeah, okay. No, I think that propels us to do something. I think it's wrapped up in this series that we've been going on and on and on about because it's such an important thing. We're here. We know why we're here. Some of those reasons are why we're here. So now as we look forward, we want to look at this picture of what God wants a Christ follower to be. What are the actions and the essence of someone who loves Jesus? Um, What are those things? And so we've been going through this list from Colossians, Colossians 3, 12 through 14 of this list of these marks of someone who is a Christ follower. And in Colossians 3, let's just repeat it again because it's important not to, you know, as my daughter likes to say, oh, dad, I've already read that verse. (laughs) Oh, really? Has it lived in you? Has it changed you? And then she rolls her eyes at me. But anyway, I think it's important not just for us to get through the word, but for the word to get through us. And so we get this list from Colossians 3, 12 through 14 that says, since God has chosen us to be the holy people he loves, We must clothe ourselves in compassion, tenderhearted mercy, it says, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts as as members of one body we are called to live in peace and be thankful. Think about that list and think about what that means for your life. What it means is we set this target up of the kinds of people that God, through Christ, is calling us to be and become. And today we look at this mark called kindness. And before you're like, oh, I know what kindness means, just, just think about the last time someone said, oh, you're, you know, you're too kind. Um, my wife had an experience this week where she was driving to Target, one of the things that she likes to do every week. And, um, and so she pulled in her parking spot and she got out of her car and then she reached back in her car to get some stuff. And as she's reaching back in, there's someone waiting to get around her. And so she says, oh, I'm sorry. And, and the lady says, no problem. And, and then goes to get in her car and realizes she's locked her keys in her car. And so Michelle said, um, you know, I can drive you home, and this woman must be native to Minnesota because she immediately declined. Oh, no, 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 you can't do that. And, and Michelle, Michelle said, no, really, I can drive you. Oh, thank you. And so Michelle drove her, and it wasn't too far away, and dropped her off and made sure she got in the house, and she was able to get in the house, and Michelle drove away, and then two blocks later realized, wait a second, she can get in her house, now she has her keys, but she doesn't have her car because her car's still at Target. And Michelle turned around went back and the lady had bundled up and made it less than a block and she stopped and she picked her up and drove her back to Target. And this lady said, oh, you're, you're too kind. You're too kind. I don't know. Now, I think, obviously, Michelle's a pretty kind lady. But when was the last time someone said to you, oh, you're, you're too kind? For me, and I think for us, it's an it's a important question to consider. Are we too kind? And, and so to answer that question, though, I think we need to have three follow-up pre-questions to actually answer that question. And the first one is, do we even understand kindness? When we read Colossians 3, 12 through 17, or 12 through 15, when we read those verses, it's really easy. It's really easy for us to go, oh, we're supposed to be nice. When it says, Put your, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, tenderhearted mercy, patience, gentleness, it's really easy for us to look and just go, Christians, they're supposed to be nice. And I think if you mean by nice, you mean we're supposed to have a gracious sensitivity towards another person that's triggered by genuine care for them. And then, yes, absolutely, people who follow Jesus are supposed to be nice. But if you mean like comfortable, not really doing anything worse than the average person nice, then no way. Absolutely not. So this word kindness, before you think it goes to nice, is actually not kindness. Um, it's the Greek word, oh my gosh, okay? I know just enough Greek to be like a little dangerous, but the writer here would have written to these people in Greek, and so the word is um, krestasis, krestates, if you want to try and say it with me, krestates, mm-hmm, 
It means, yeah, Christates. It's a cool word. It only took me an hour to learn how to say it. Christates means morally upright. It means righteous. It means moral excellence. It's sometimes switched up with goodness. And so, Christates is a word that's found in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Same word, and I think the same writer writing to a different people, I think this one really sheds light on what this is exactly. And in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, it says, But God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised us up with Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we've been saved. For God raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. So God can point out in all the future ages as examples of his incredible wealth in his grace and kindness, Christates, towards us, as shown for all he has done for us who are united in Christ." So this kind of kindness, this Christates, is this incredible love and mercy that God displays. It has very little to do with being nice. And all, like the Bible and the world that we live in, if you looked around and looked at it, you would say, this place is really not so nice. There's a lot of things that are wrong in the world. It's kind of broken, as we like to say around here. Like hungry people all over the world die of starvation every day. Every day, every moment. Wars are being fought around the world at this moment, some of them even using children as soldiers. And we, a lot of us, don't even know that these wars are going on. Divorce continues to abound. Kids are abused. Alcohol and other substances ruin people's lives. Students commit suicide because of things other kids say. I think you would agree that that's broken. That's messed up. And the Bible says to us in the same way, lying, stealing, cheating, um, other gossip, other selfish behaviors, those are in the same way lines with these other things in the world that are broken. And so we look at at verses like Psalm 14, where this writer says, you know, the Lord looks down from heaven at the entire human race, me and you included. And he looks to see if anyone is truly wise. He looks to see if anyone seeks God, but no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt, which is actually the same writers of the New Testament. They take that word corrupt, and it's the opposite of this goodness, this Christatus, this kindness. It says that no one does good, not a single one. So we can't fix the broken stuff. And you know, we can't even fix ourselves. If we looked in the mirror and we, a lot of us like to, to try and be nice. And a lot of us like to look at, at other people that we know in our lives that are worse than us to make us feel better. You probably do it because I do it. 
But when I put myself up against the standards of Psalm 14 or Romans 3 or Ephesians 2 or Colossians 3, when I put myself up against those standards, then, then in the loving, just, omnipotent God's sight, then I am not righteous. I'm certainly not full of this Christates. So we can't fix ourselves. And, and no matter how hard we try to be like morally excellent, righteous, or perfect, we come up short. And the good news is that God in his kindness, in his love, and in his mercy, he didn't leave us there. It's not like he pointed to us and said, yep, exactly. No, the good news is that Jesus came to, to come into this world to heal those broken things, to teach the kingdom of God, to live this perfect life, and to die this sacrificial death to wipe this stuff away. That's the good news. That's the kindness that this writer is talking about. That God in his rich mercy sent Jesus to live and to die for people who the Bible would call sinful. So do we even understand forgiveness? Well, you have to answer that for yourself. Second question that follows up to figure out if we're too kind or if we're kind enough is not only have, do we understand it, but have we accepted this, this kindness? Jesus removed the barrier that keeps us from God by his death and resurrection. Earlier in Colossians 2, it says that, that we were dead in our sin, just like Ephesians said. We were dead in our sin because our sinful nature was still here, and God made us alive in Christ, and he forgave all our sin. He canceled the record. He wiped it away. And it says he canceled the charges against us, and he nailed them to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over the cross. Colossians 1 earlier says that for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled or God made it right or God bought back everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes those who were chosen. It says it includes those who were once far away. And so when we accept this grace, when we accept this kindness, this Christatis that, that Ephesians talks about, it says that our spiritual position with God is now one where we're seated in the heavenlies, with Jesus, right next to God. Ephesians 2.6 says that God raised us up from the dead along with Christ and he seated us in the heavenly realms because we're united with him. So no longer does God look at us and see this. He, he sees Christ. He sees this perfect being. He sees someone free of their sin. I, I think that's good news. So we have to decide, like, if we accept that. That's the third question. If we're really, like, the second question is, if we accept it, the third question is, do we really live out this kindness? And if we're going to live it out, then we have to look at 
that what the writer continues to say in Colossians 2, the writer says, just as you've accepted Christ as Lord and Christ Jesus, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then later, next chapter in chapter 3, verse 8, Colossians says that now is the time to get rid of anger, to get rid of rage, to get rid of malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for we've stripped off the sinful nature. We've taken off all the wicked deeds. So the writer says, if we've accepted Christ, now we have to follow him. It's been a while. Now, now he doesn't just say, like, you know, just, just take off the bad stuff and, and put it in the back of the closet. You know, where you might pull it out one day. No, he says, get rid of it. So you figure it out. Whether you want to throw it away or you want to burn it. Uh, if you're married and you brought stuff into your marriage from college, like that old lounger that you're like, I have to have this. And, and it accidentally got run over by your wife's best friend. That's the, t- that's the thing that this is saying. Get rid of it. In fact, in verse 5, it says it this way. It's pretty violent. It says, put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with, with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For greedy people are an idolater. They worship the things of God, or they worship the things of this world rather than of God. So just as I stand here, looking rather ridiculous in my letterman's jacket from a long time ago, um, I think as Christ followers... We look a little silly. We look a little ridiculous. And we confuse people when instead of living out the kingdom of God, we follow the patterns that everybody else does. When we can't live in the spirit of the risen Jesus in this radical way, when we can't take off the old clothes because we either like them, we like what they do for us, they give us power, or, or we, we, get, um, we just get caught up in that everyone else is doing it, so I should too. We confuse people that don't know Jesus. Now, now, this was a really cool jacket when I was a sophomore in high school. It, it made me feel like I had accomplished something, it uh, gave me some identity in case I forever, got my, forever ever forgot my name. But someone that was very wise and older than me said, you know, when you go to college, you should leave that at home. <laughs> and I was like, really? Because my voice hadn't changed yet. Um, <laughs> really? And they're like, oh yeah, you should. And if you've experienced this, you know. This is a great jacket for high school when it's in high school. 
but once you're in college, it's not a cool jacket anymore, and you need to take it off. And you might decide you want to burn it, or not, but that's the point I think the writer is making. There's some things that we have to take off of our life when we say yes to Jesus. Not because it's a bunch of rules, not because we have to try harder for the kingdom, not because Jesus is about doing more, working harder, striving, making sure we do this, this, and this. It's not, it's not. It's because of what the writer has already said. Just as you've accepted Jesus, continue to follow him. Jesus says that that's old. That's old stuff. You don't, you don't live that anymore. So take it off. In fact, don't just take it off. It says, put it to death. So this kindness idea, this Christatis, this is about radical, holy living. You know, that, that kind of, like, it, it scared me when I said it. Like, ooh, I'm, I'm going to talk about holy living? No, think in terms of radical living, if holy living is too much of a hard word for you. Like, that top ten list? If, that, if we did that, that'd be radical things. If our city was loved, that'd be radical. Churches don't love their city. Christians kind of just stay to their own. So if we loved beyond what w- us, if we accepted people and withheld judgment, even though we can say, like, this isn't God's best for you, that'd be radical. But to live, to do those radical things, we have to ri- live in a radical way. So if we think, like, we'll just stop doing the bad sins and, and start attending church and that'll be okay, then, then it's like we're wearing our letterman's jacket still. It's like the lady I saw in the coffee shop a uh, day or two ago, and she had this super cool tattoo, and I'm like, oh, we're doing this series, like, Marks of a follower, more than Twitter and tattoos. Like, we don't just follow Jesus on Twitter. We really follow him. And, and tattoos, like, you know, this mark of permanence. And she's like, oh, it's a henna tattoo. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she's like, it's a temporary tattoo. I went down to the shop. I paid 10 bucks for it, and it'll wash off in four days. But it's cool, isn't it? And I'm like, <sighs> yeah, it's cool. It's totally going to come up in my sermon. <laughs> My little talk that I'm going to share my, my church because this isn't permanent. This is like I get all the look and I only spend a little of the money and then it washes off. And some of us want to do that with Jesus. We want a little bit of the benefit, a little bit of the looking cool, but not the permanence. Permanence is when we trust and follow Jesus as Savior and as King we go from eternally separated from God. The Bible calls it like dead. We go from separated from God to eternally connected to God. That's permanent because of what Christ has done. That's the kindness that we're talking about here. That's the permanence. So this isn't at all if you left here and you wanted to really fire me up, what did you, what did you talk about at, when you went to Restoration today? We talked about being nice. I would be very frustrated because this isn't a call to be nice. 
It's not even to say, oh, have someone tell you you're too kind. That would be cool if they're like, you're too kind, because that would, that would, what would that assume? If somebody says too kind, then you've gone above and beyond their expectation. Because people aren't outwardly generous very often. But yet we can't say, oh, it's just about having people say, be kind. Because I know, and you probably do too, a lot of people in your life who don't know Jesus, who are way more kind than people who do know Jesus. So it can't be, it has to be, it has to be about this courageous, holy living that really means that we are restorers of hope. I mean, when we talk about why we started restoration, we wanted to purposely live radically. We wanted to purposely harness and, and be joined to the power of God to see broken people who are far from God come near to God. I mean, this writer didn't write to these people from prison because he wanted them to be nice. He was, he was giving of his life to see people who were far from God, who are wearing their old stuff, who are acting in this ignorant way, near to God. Anyone, everyone. He talks about how there's no Jew nor Greek anymore, how race and class and gender, how that doesn't matter. We're one in Christ. There's a new freedom. We're, we're set free. That's hope. That's what we get to share. Now we do this by living out this radical message and living it out together because it's hard. And so that's why we say, hey, you should join a life group. You should be in a place where you get prayed for, you get encouraged, where you can have people specifically talk about the things where you're trying to live on purpose or live on mission. Each other. Maybe there's going to be a time that someone that's outside comes into that life group. That's why we ask you to join a serving team because it's really easy. Let's just be honest. It's really easy to fake it for an hour or so on Sunday. How's your life? Eh, it's fine. Really? Okay, it's not great, but it's enough for what I'm willing to share with you today. Okay. You and I both know that it's really easy to do that for one hour. But we join a serving team and when we're making coffee together... And all of a sudden, like, oh, how was your week? And it's like, oh, I'm going to be here for another hour making coffee with this person, and I can't fake it for that long. That's good. That's a good thing. When we're, when we're setting up together and the guys are like, hey, hey. And because that's what they love. I get to do this and not have to talk a lot. That's why I don't do setup. <sighs> you talk too much. But in those moments between stuff, there's times where, Vulnerability knocks, and we can step into being vulnerable. And all of a sudden, we can say, you know, actually, like I didn't notice my wife's haircut. Really? Yeah, and it was the 16th time this year. (laughs) I think there's a problem. That's an opportunity, because we can't fake it. 
It's hard to serve together and fake it. It's hard to serve together and constantly have a good attitude. But that's what the Christian life calls us to, to this place where it's only when we take this stuff off that that joy abounds naturally. Otherwise, when it doesn't abound from within, when joy doesn't come up from this place where we are united with Jesus, then it's this battle of fighting it and faking it and fighting it and faking it, and it's exhausting. But when we step into those things, we have an unbelievable opportunity to say, this is what it means to live radically, and people notice. And then all of a sudden, we get these opportunities to share the hope of who Jesus is in real ways that don't seem faked or forced. And isn't that why we're here? I mean, I want to be someday like the Apostle Paul, where I can say, I gave, and I gave, and I gave, and I ran the race, and I ran the race, and I did not get disqualified along the way so that people far from God would know God. That's the eternal thing that makes the difference. What does kindness mean in your life? As the band comes back up, as we, as we really sing to God about his kindness, his love, his mercy, take a moment to say, Holy Spirit, do I need a reset? Do I really understand this forgiveness? Have I really, or this kindness? Have I really accepted this kindness? Do I really live this kindness? What do I need to do with that? God's got amazing plans for us corporately and for us individually. But it's about this radical life. God, would you take us to this place where we live wholly and radically for you. God, we give ourselves to you not so that we can be a cool church, not so that we can have the whole city come, although that'd be cool. God, but so that people would see your glory, that they would see your kindness, and they would give that glimpse of your glory back to you. May we be restored to that radical, holy place where you are king of the world and you are king in our lives. And we commit ourselves to you today to live out this kindness, God. So go with us from this place, sharing that hope and that kindness with everyone we see. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.